0: hello everybody and welcome to the something something podcast my name is eric kasloff and Whitney, as always is larry sands how's it going
1: larry you know what i'm stri- trying to stay warm eric it's freezing here in texas in the great state of texas it is freezing everywhere
0: now this yeah. is like it was like this um this time last year, last year right yeah, when it yeah. snowed
1: yeah yeah the big snow for I forget how long it was, like a week, week and a half. But oh, yeah, man. yeah, feeling, feeling like like I'm in Lodi, New Jersey, right now. <laughs> okay,
0: well the weather here is getting better. It is about thirty three degrees. That's not bad, and it started raining, so that's washing away a lot of the snow.
1: This is weird because I think it's colder here than it is there.
0: I want to say you're right
1: yes yes so you know just trying to uh to keep the uh the fires burning keep everything warm inside uh hey eric remember when we were talking off air about how music and movies are so nostalgic yes and do you remember that time i feel like tommy boy (laughs) yeah (laughs) Uh, oh hey is that the third producer
0: Yes, it is, Rogers. We finally uh, have a third producer again.
1: That's right. He's back. Guess who's back? Our third producer. Tell him I said hello. Hi, I Rogers. Don't. So who is Rogers named after? Eric? Uh, Steve Rogers. Steve Rogers. Captain America. That? I knew that. That was going to be my... No, I didn't know that at no, all. You don't that's watch very cool. movies. I, know, I should watch movies. But, you know, actually... It is interesting because I guess I'm more into music because I can listen to it like on a walk and I don't have to invest a whole lot of time in trying to find cool movies. Although, I did watch Nightmare Alley a few nights ago. I did. I did. And it was really good. It was super good. Awesome. I'm going to probably watch that tonight. Oh, yeah. It's good. It's good. But, you know... I mean whether it's movies or music you can always tell like especially when you listen to older stuff like when we were growing up right rock yeah. and 80s music and all that i i remember exactly where i was when i hear a song or it takes me back to that era right yes um it's just it's really really cool to just sit back and listen and reminisce or watch and reminisce you know it is it is funny though because when you watch like 80s movies or even 90s movies do you kind of cringe a little bit not at all no really i don't know what it is maybe it was maybe maybe i'm maybe maybe it's the times i'm living in who knows yeah you know but eh, anyway so how's the writing going eric going well Yeah, that's very good, very good. Hey, speaking of writing. Yes, we have, actually, we have a great guest on this week. We really do. And it's kind of like timely um, because we have her on. Let's go ahead and introduce her. Um, Her name is Shelley McIntosh, and she has a new book, called Memoir of a Black Christian Nationalist, Seeds of Liberation. Hi, Shelley. welcome to the show.
2: Hi, Larry and Eric, and thank you for allowing me to have this opportunity. I appreciate it.
1: Oh, we
0: absolutely. Can't wait to have, we can't wait to talk to you.
2: Yes,
1: yes. Okay, so first of all, um, what, what is a nationalist for people that, that are like a nationalist? I had to Google it personally. Oh, really?
2: Yeah. yeah. You know, that's a good question, because I think that term nationalist, unless we're on common grounds, it can cause a a bit of of confusion. So we know the first part of that word is nation. And it is a movement of any group of people who want to thrive and want to build security for themselves to create a nation. Yeah. And so American America is a nation. Yep. Uh, the Japanese have their nation, the Chinese, the Europeans. And so it is, a, again, a natural move of a people to thrive, to survive, and to live a quality of life. And so that's what nationalist means here.
1: Okay. All right. That's perfect. You know, it, it's, it's always interesting because... Uh, What is your background?
2: You've been a a teacher, correct? Yes. I always say that education chose me. Uh Aha. People ask that, well, how did you get into education? And I tell them it chose me because that was not my first choice to be an educator. Really? But that's what I ended up being. At a very young age, my father had me teaching Sunday school. I was about 11 years old. He was a Baptist pastor. And maybe the adults didn't show up, so he used his children to teach class. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So so I taught a little kindergarten class at that time. Uh, And then my mother, she groomed me to babysit and sometimes without pay. That part I could not understand. I was supposed to get minimum wage for watching children. (laughs) <laughs> so again, that was working with children.
3: Yeah.
2: Uh, and then when I joined the Shrines of the Black Madonna, I continually worked with children. So I uh, eventually went to school, back to school, and received a teacher certificate in elementary education. And that was done in Houston, Texas. And so I then pursued my master's degree in education, curriculum, and instruction and then pursued my doctoral degree. So I have a a doctoral degree in curriculum and instruction teacher education. So I taught those who were aspiring to be teachers. I am certified as a teacher in Texas and also in Michigan. And I'm also certified as a school administrator in Michigan. So education is a part of my DNA and I always love to study and research and teach. So that is my uh, educational background. I've been a teacher coach. I coach teachers and also a principal of an elementary school. Wow. I was that. I was assistant professor at the University of Houston downtown. <laughs> and I have a business called Child Focus Consulting Company. And we offer reading support for a couple of schools in Detroit. Uh, There is a literacy dilemma. So I have a team team of retired teachers and we go in and teach students to increase their reading skills.
0: Wow. Wow.
1: Is
2: that Uh,
1: all? Yes. Okay, first of all, when did you find time to write a book?
2: (laughs) Well, you you know, this is my fifth book. Oh wow! <laughs> okay, so do it, but I'm going to focus on this book. Yes. Okay. Memoir of a Black Christian Nationalist: Seas of Liberation. Uh, during the pandemic, when everything was shut down and locked up, yeah, I reflected on my life. I just had time to sit down and reflect on my life, and so the year 2020, I realized, also marked 20 years since the founder of the Shrines of the Black Madonna, the father of Black Christian nationalism had died. It had been 20 years. So I reflected on my life and looked at what we had done in terms of building these institutions that people, that we needed. I looked at that and how I had committed my life to this for about 30 years. And I looked at the work that we had done together, for instance, the church is one institution and the founder said that the church can spin off other institutions that we need to stop the injustice, to stop the police brutality, the inequality, the miseducation, that this was in fact our liberation struggle. It was not so much a protesting and marching, it was building. And so we purchased many buildings in Detroit, in Atlanta and Houston. And we remodeled those buildings into nurseries, cultural centers, meditation centers, residence halls where people could live, communal dining halls. Um, I'm trying to think of, we, we created those institutions. And so I felt that that story needed to be told. Yeah because I had dedicated my life to that for so long along with countless of other people.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um and you know reading reading about your book um I was looking it up. Um it's it's really no wonder you wanted to put it down because even before we get to talk about your book what, what I kind of take away from just looking at it on Amazon and reading about it and, and, and things like that, it's, you've lived it. You've, yeah. you've done everything that, Oh, I, Eric, I, I, okay, Shelly, we don't like to get political <laughs> on, on our show, yeah. but I think it is worth noting that since you are a teacher, since you are African-American since you are in the thick of the fight, you have a unique perspective. And this is weird to say because everybody's got a perspective, right? But what's happening in this day and age right now is happening in education. Um, And to really communities everywhere because my takeaway with again just reading on amazon you've you've created all these wonderful things for your community you've seen it firsthand you've built it you were, you've been there why can't other people see what what you've done and the beauty of it all. And, and I don't want to say take it upon themselves, but why can't they do, why can't other people do what what you've done there in,
2: in the Detroit area? Okay. That's a good question. So, you know, there's a saying, those who have ears, let them hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe if I just give a, um, more of a background of my life before I even wrote the book. Absolutely. By the time I was 18 years old, I had lived through four assassinations, John F. Kennedy, Mm -hmm. Robert Kennedy, Malcolm X, and Reverend Uh, Martin Luther King. Mm -hmm. I also lived through the 1967 Detroit Rebellion, even though I was not a part of it. I knew that the business area in my neighborhood had been burnt down Mm. and uh, corner stores were on fire. I knew that the National Guard and the Army occupied our high schools. The whole city of Detroit was on lockdown. We could hear them marching through the streets and we had curfew. So Detroit was really under military occupation.
3: Wow.
2: I experienced that. And then I also uh, saw the civil rights struggle being civil, being televised. I saw children being hosed down, um, dogs, attack dogs yeah. on innocent people.
3: Yeah.
2: And a lot of people being jailed. But at 18, I didn't know what all of that meant.
3: Yeah,
2: I did ask myself, why? Why, why are these things happening? So one day my sister who visited the Shrine of the Black Madonna Bookstore and cultural Center, she brought back a a bag of goodies with some bangles in it and necklace. And she she pulled out the book, The Black Messiah, written by the late Reverend Albert B. Clay Jr. And so I saw it. I said, can I read that book, please? And she said, yes, but know where you got it from. I said, okay. (laughs) So I read it in three days. Wow. And I told her, we need to go to that church. So in the midst of January, in the winter, like it's what, 20 degrees here, we crunched through the snow, caught two buses to the Shrine of the Black Madonna, number one on Linwood and Hogarth. And when we walked in, the church was packed full of young African-Americans. The energy was high and it was the first time I saw the mural of the Black Madonna and child and it was ceiling height. Uh, And the first time I heard the late Reverend Albert B. Clay speak about how we need to work together to build a nation within a nation peacefully so that we could uh, be educated, we could provide food for ourselves, shelter for ourselves to stop the crime in the community. Mm -hmm. So uh, that Sunday I did join and I committed my life to it for the next 30 years. So the the question is, how come others don't see this? I believe it may be a different philosophy that people have. So when we look at Black Christian nationalists, the Black points to that we are descendants of Africa. That's our identity. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Christian points to the life of Jesus the Black Messiah. Now that may stir up a few souls, but (laughs) the Black Messiah, uh, the, the church is called the Shrine of the Black Madonna because it gives honor to his mother who is and was African. And so she had a child and his name, Jesus, he was African too. So the original Jews were African and that is not just my fairy tale. That's historically and by DNA research. So, when we um, look at Christian and look at the life of Jesus, that Christian move, that was a Christian movement, not just the Christian church. They were fighting against Roman oppression during that time. And so, Jesus led that movement after John the Baptist. And so, I read other sources. We were required to read many books. When I joined, I read over 25. We had a book list. After that, it was always study because the founder believed in discipline study. So I've read so many books written around the time that the Bible is written and uh, the context and the history of it. So um, I'm not the first one who's saying that the mission of Jesus is different than what we know of it today. I'm not the first one who says that. Um, Hugh Schoenfeld, a British scholar, he has written many books called The Pentecost Revolution, The Jesus Party, The Essene Odyssey, that point to the real mission of Jesus. Uh, Even the holiest church in Poland is called The Shrine of the Black Madonna. Mm. And they have a mural of mother Mary being black and her child being black. Mm. And a lot of those images are still in uh, European museums. So to, I'm saying that to answer this, why didn't everyone see this? Some people have different uh, philosophies and beliefs about what Christianity is for number one. Yeah. Secondly, in the Shrines of the Black Madonna, we believe that we had to be changed that we had to change our behaviors and our belief systems where they would be positive and productive. And so maybe others don't know about this transformation process that we ourselves went through.
1: Mm-hmm. Man, that's that's oh. pretty heavy
2: stuff. Yeah. Go ahead, Eric.
1: So oh, if no, I can no. say this
2: about the the shrine emphasized groups and really if you look at the world we do function in groups and we do function a lot of times better in groups uh, Absolutely. We look at, right we look at the the way the earth is created and there are species of trees and animals and they are basically in groups right the giraffes the tigers the lions <laughs> yeah different schools of fish and so are human beings yes So being able to serve one another, being able to help one another, to care for one another, that is the importance of belonging to a group of people. So we believe that the group was really, really instrumental to our change. Um, So that we just wouldn't focus on individualism, just me, myself, and I, but focus on the needs of other people. Mm, that was one transformation wow. process. Oh wow. The, the other transformation process was to um, discover who we really are. Now this applies to every human being that we are mind, body, and spirit. Yeah. beneath the skin, everything looks the same.
1: Yeah,
2: the heart, <laughs> the lungs, yep. they all they all look the same beneath yep. the skin.
1: Yep.
2: So we have more in common. Then we have that is different. Yeah. So when we say mind, body, and spirit, is what is the spirit part of us? We know the body, what is the spirit part? So the spirit part of us is that I'm speaking to you now and you can hear me, but there is no wire from my speech, from my voice to, to your ear. Yeah. Because this sound travels through an energy field that is all around us. Yes. And we ourselves, we are also part of this energy field. Yes. And so getting to know ourselves is getting to know this connection that we have with the universe, getting to know that the heart is beating and we're not telling it to.
3: Yes. Getting
2: to know that before my birth, I wasn't here. I didn't exist. Yes. I'm existing during this time but then at death I won't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. It's beginning to know who we are and the power that we have within ourselves to make things happen. That was the other part of um, our transformation. And so as many people may look to an outside source to give them all the power, we were born with power. And how we use that to benefit ourselves and humankind that is the spiritual development that was unique. And so maybe that's why others may not agree with that, a difference in philosophy. But I know for us it, helped us, it helped us to unite. It helped us to use our power. And it showed us that we can do things when we set our minds on it.
1: Wow. Wow. I mean, that's a lot to take in. Um, and, but you're so right because, you know, and I mean, there's a, there's a thing happening to our nation and it trickles down to society that I think it's very unfortunate because I can tell you that when, here's the weird thing. And I don't know how you feel about this, but I, I grew up, I was taught that that you don't see race and I still don't see race and I don't consider I don't I don't consider looking at someone and going you know what I'm not gonna like that person because they look like fill in the blank and I don't quite understand um in this day and age although I I do I I don't know. I mean, this is a deep, deep conversation. Okay,
2: so you and I both are human beings. Absolutely. Yes. But when I do look at you, I do see our Caucasian man. Yes. And I can see an Asian person. And you see an African-American person. And nothing is wrong with that. No. That's just fine. So I do see color because we see color. You know, we see people's characteristics. We see flowers Mm -hmm. and trees. We see that. Everything. But the the situation is that when race is used to demean or disempower or Mm -hmm. oppress a people, yeah, that's when the term race becomes pretty powerful. Yeah. Yeah. So it's only equated with power. Mm -hmm. So because of the color of the skin that I was born with, which is inherited and which is of God, if we want to say that, and the color of your skin is of God, then demeaning or oppressing or limiting what I can do or what my children can do or where we can live or how much education we're going to get, that is the use of race to oppress another people. So that's how society has Mm -hmm. been structured here. Mm -hmm. I know we don't wanna talk about politics, but politics we learned in, in the church is sacred. Uh, politics really are supposed to serve people. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's supposed to be for the welfare of people. We let these officials to govern us in a way that is fair and just, and in a way that you can thrive, my children can thrive, we can be educated, we can have care, but, because of the color of my skin, I may not get the same job. Mm -hmm. They already have uh, research that I may be charged more for the car that I want to purchase,
3: Mm.
2: or there may not be space at a university for me simply because of the way that I was born. So when that is used by legislators and politicians to limit me, to limit my children, my grandchildren. That's when grace becomes that tool to do thing. that. Yep. 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 No,
1: thank you for explaining that because I think a lot of people miss that. Um, I th- I think they see it. I yeah. think they hear it, but they don't necessarily understand it. And the way you laid it out is, I mean, very Yeah, very, very
0: well. understandable the way you worded everything.
2: Yes. Yeah. And and I think that we all I'm going to say, you know how we can be trained by the media or by TV, yeah. limited knowledge.
3: Yeah.
2: A lot of knowledge has been kept away from us.
3: Yeah.
2: And from you, from me. And so behind the scenes to me behind the scenes, who's really controlling everything? Yeah. And who really wants us to think and feel a certain way? Right. Those are the questions that we have to ask. Yes. Uh, all of us have the right to live a great life on this earth, everyone, no matter what skin color. But again, when it's used as law and engraved in politicians and used to oppress a people, then that whole concept of race is dangerous and detrimental. Yep. Yeah. Yep.
1: Yep. You, you see it every day when you turn on the news and I'm, uh, ooh, let's, let's kind of change because obviously this goes, but I think, you know, is, is that part of the education system too? because over because you've been a teacher a long time and you've seen it in the last what 20 25 years yes um talk a little bit about you know i mean what are your feelings now about the education system
2: the education system is also controlled in terms of curriculum and um, just as a story, I was a principal for about six years. And I, I went in with the belief that a principal has so much power to make yeah, things happen. Yes. And that is especially to teach children. But I found out that it's not. Uh, Principals fit into the hierarchy of education. So you have the federal government who's in charge. Mm-hmm. Then you have the state, uh, the state educational systems. So in every state, there's going to be maybe the Texas Education Agency
3: yeah.
2: or in Detroit, uh, Michigan, they call it the Michigan Department of Education. Right beneath that is the school district.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And then beneath that are the schools. So mm-hmm. curriculum has been, um, can be controlled in terms of what's taught uh, over the years in terms of um, education some history has been kept out of the books and the not only that but a lot of um, inner city schools did not receive equitable funding
3: no.
2: because state legislators le- legisl- legislators had, formulated some kind of uh, formula where still the uh, suburban schools got most money and the inner city did not. I looked at reading scores and there still is a gap with African-Americans and Caucasian students, also with Latino students and Caucasian students. So if the education system is supposed to guarantee every child reading writing and mathematics it has failed with literacy and so i always see hope though but i think that we have to look at the the problem and why it exists and then we have a basis to work to work from so i believe in the schools there needs to be more education of the history of people in this country uh, including the history of the Native Americans that needs to be taught.
3: Mm-hmm. I
2: didn't know that Mississippi, and Alabama, those are Native American names. I didn't know that.
0: Wow.
2: Oh. And so here I am going to Mississippi, not knowing that this is a Native American name. So that type of that type of knowledge needs to be taught. Um, I also listened to this Japanese professor because as an African-American, I'm thinking, well, my people are oppressed here. You know, my mother and father, they um, experienced discrimination and segregation in the South. They moved up North to escape that. But this Japanese professor talked about every group that had come here. And then I realized that not only African-Americans were oppressed, there were other many groups too. Mm. And so it made me have a a wider perspective of this whole concept of oppression. But in terms of education, we need to know the contributions of all all those people, those groups of people. Mm -hmm. And I think that that would uh, open open our minds and open our tolerance to others. Say, for example, I taught at the university and I taught the culture of urban schools. So I, I had a group project where each group had to select uh, Latino people, an African nation, French, Chinese, Japanese. They had to research that as a group and then um, present it to the entire class. They had to speak of their language of their culture, of their history. And that helped to open us, open my class to the um, histories and to the lifestyles of other people. That needs to be instru- uh, instituted in the schools beginning to me in kindergarten.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know,
1: everything seems to start at that age because that's really, that's the foundation, right? That's the foundational yeah. age.
2: It really is. You know, research says that from birth, I read a book. I told you I was studious, right? I don't <laughs> <Yes>. know everything. <laughs> I don't know everything, but I know a lot. <laughs> okay, so uh, Kindergarten is Too Late. Uh, that was written by a Japanese author. And uh, before they could even take images of the brain, he was trying to figure out why did his two-year-old grandson know the McDonald's ox sign and things like that. Right. And they come to find out that Between birth and really three years old, the the brain tracks are being laid. Mm. And that is a great time to teach children. He said they could learn to skate and walk at the same time. They could learn three languages at the same time, as long as they had three caretakers who spoke that language. Um, They could learn how to play a violin. So one good example would be Tiger Woods. Uh His father put that club in his hand at a year and a half. So to Tiger Woods, that brain track is laid there, you know, yeah. it's internalized. The brain made its connections. Yeah. So, yes, those those ages that uh, after birth through five years old, those are really foundational years in wow. terms of how the brain develops.
1: Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, that's, I OK, you know, that the, the the other good thing about our podcast is obviously. When, when we start talking about stuff and I find out new stuff, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's awesome. And, and, and you've brought it today. I mean, you, and we haven't even, I mean, I I think we kind of have, which, you know, uh, we haven't even really talked about your book so much, but these are the foundational things that, um, that I kind of read into, you know, what your book is. Um, uh, and just to like the, the knowledge bombs that you're dropping right now. I like that. <laughs> it's
2: awesome. It's great. Um, go back to the education part. Larry? Yes, please do. Okay. So with, with that education, I did not really get that through my matriculation through school. Yeah. I got it. A lot of it when I joined the shrine of the black Madonna, because it was required that we study. Mm-hmm. And so I, uh, and researching and looking at videos and documentaries, I began to learn. And even asking questions about, you know, who am I? How do children learn? How do they socially interact with each other? Mm-hmm. Because I ha- I worked with children for 21 years in the shrine itself and set up an institution for children. Then that also motivated me to study and to read other things. So that's why I read, you know, kindergarten it's too late, and I read several books about brain development. And now they've done all the research on brain development because we have the technology for it. So the education part, a lot of it took place in the in the shrines of the Black Madonna. In my memoir of being a Black Christian nationalist, yes, oh, wow, uh,
1: and obviously, I was going to say, well, what <laughs> what research have you done? But it's your life. Yeah. You know, it's in my life.
2: It's what you do. Yeah. Because I asked myself a question. I was assigned to do uh, Bible lessons in the shrine. I didn't want to do them, but I was assigned to do them. (laughs) (laughs) So I did them for five years straight. But the question I asked myself was, how am I going to teach others when I don't know enough of this myself? If the Bible says that this is the Euphrates and the Nile River and the Red Sea, if I can't locate those on a map, how am I going to teach others? Mm
3: -hmm. So that
2: was the reflection that I had for myself. And that is what pushed me to go to libraries and read different books. And my father, being a Baptist pastor, he had commentaries and illustrators. And he told us, look, you can read any of these at any time. So he did give me that love for reading. That was just a quick memory. He did give me that love for reading. So the the studying part of it, the education part of it, a great deal of that did take place in the shrine. We've read books by uh, Japanese people, authors by uh, Caucasian authors, African-American authors. Um, We've read books by Native American authors, all of that was open to us. If these books can bring knowledge to us, then we're going to read and study those. Wow. Wow.
1: Wow. Oh, man, oh, man. Um, with, so you said that in 2020, you started to write down what became your memoir, right? Yes. Um, what? was the process because obviously when you sit down and you start thinking about you know putting your life on on paper for a book no less but i I think it would be daunting just to put it down um how how did you do you remember when you first got the idea or the the spark to write your memoir
2: Yes, I do. So it didn't start off as a memoir at first. It started off as a collection of letters that I I had written to the founder of the Shrines of the Black Madonna. Oh. Just a collection of letters. And I was speaking about his leadership qualities and telling about my life. Now he's passed on, right? But I'm sitting down writing these, these letters, uh, Dear Reverend Clay, Dear Jeromoji, I, I got pregnant at this age and I joined the shrine or whatever. These were things that I put into these letters. And I looked at the letters and I said, well, there's some quality there. He had the leadership quality of, of being accessible. He had the leadership quality of caring for people, of developing people. He had those leadership qualities. So I've gotten these letters and I send them to be assessed. I want my letters assessed before I actually want to put these in a book. Mm -hmm. So I sent them to Two Sisters Publishing here in Detroit. Mm -hmm. She read through it very, very carefully and gave me a lot of tips for storytelling. And then she said, if you could just refocus it, where it is your, your memoir and tell more about your experience in the shrines of the Black Madonna and what was done because she found it to be very amazing. Yeah. Then I switched the focus of it. Mm. And so within the book, there are my personal stories in there.
3: Yeah.
2: But it's also interwoven with the doctrines and the teachings of Black Christian nationalism. That's the power of it. So, uh, I've never smoked, right? So, I can't write a memoir about that I quit smoking. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. right. Here's what I think it's like. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you might, I may drink a glass of wine now and then, but I cannot write a memoir that I have been drinking a lot and now I don't. So, my memoir has the teachings and the philosophy and program interwoven into my stories. And that's what makes it, to me, uh, pretty powerful.
0: So who would you say this book is a special? I mean, I'm sure it's for everyone, but who would you say is like your target
2: audience? The the first target audience I was thinking about was the church, and specifically the the Black church, because Larry, you asked a question about how come everybody doesn't do it, you know, here in Detroit? And I was thinking about the different philosophies. So uh, Black Christian nationalism kind of sprung up during that civil rights movement. And um, so the the tenets in there would to me be helpful in in churches, Mm -hmm. the tenets Mm -hmm. in there. The history of Christianity would be helpful in churches, because I have that in the book too, mm-hmm. uh, the transformation process that the shrine had would be helpful in churches where they could spin off other institutions just like we did. Yeah, the prototype they could build. Then I also thought, as I got more reviews, uh, I've had uh, different races of people to read to to read it. But then one uh, colleague, uh, a white woman, said that it was very informational and educational, yeah. even for a, a white woman as I am. She, yeah. And then someone else said the same thing. So what I'm thinking is the church and then um, maybe schools of theology, that would be an audience.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But the more I, I, I wrote, uh, Larry, this book is good for anyone to pick wow. up and read. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. the audience is good for anyone to pick up and read they can i they should be able to identify with a lot of things be able to learn a lot more information yeah. so i i would say uh anyone should be able to pick this book up and read it and get a lot from it yes
1: and, and you know and i mean it i don't know why it's a weird thing because you know in in movies and music Right, whether it's rock and roll, country, jazz, um, rap, you can listen to a song, and you can either like be be drawn to it, or it's just another song, no matter what it is. But I think where I'm going with this <laughs> is is, is We're going is, somewhere. <laughs> is it's much like you know, I don't think that being a white, a white person, a white male, um, like just reading the Amazon, um, bio, right. And the reviews, here's the thing, even though it's not the same story, it feels like it's the same experiences. You you have feelings. I have feelings. Everybody has feelings about about what it means to be their different race, right? What it means to be Christian. What it means to love your country and be proud of your country. Yeah, you may not like a lot of it, but I mean, you know, we're all one. It's just like what you were saying. We're all one people. And yes. And I think looking at your book, I think it's really, I think it's a bold statement, actually. A bold statement for who you are, what you do, and what you believe.
2: Yeah. You know? Those are some good points. And um, I live this. I believe in it so strongly that I lived it for 30 years. Yeah. So it's not a condemnation of anybody. This has been my life. Yeah. And I wanted to share that because I feel... That those who who uh, were with me in this, who were in the church as young people, that, that story needs to be told. And you mentioned about music. You're right. I love country music. Yeah. There's a story there.
3: Yeah. I love
2: classical music, Beethoven. I love Adele. Adele, yeah. I love yeah. her music. Yep. So you're right. There is something that still connects us. And that connection to me is so important. No matter what skin color we are, yep. there is a connection there, and I believe that. I believe that some people may be more open to it than others. Oh, I know that for a fact. Yeah. yeah.
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's why I feel. You know, I, I. Here's here's what I would hope is. You know, more people could sit and just talk, and listen to everybody, respect other people's opinions. And, you know, we used to be able to do that. I don't know, you know, where, where everything went wrong and, and got all crazy, but the world, we know it now, even, I don't maybe 10 years ago, wasn't even like this. And I, I don't know why. Um, and again, you know, it's, it's everybody's perspective. Every everybody's got a viewpoint. Everybody's got a story. And your story, the one that you have written, I think is very important. It's, it's not just... And, and see, that's the thing. It's not just a story.
2: It's about a life and a life in action. It is. And that, again, is what touched me as I lived this. I experienced uh, the love of a community. I experienced expansion where we were able to move out of Detroit to Kalamazoo, to Flint, to Atlanta, to Houston. I experienced people working together and volunteering to take care of children, to cook meals for each other. I experienced a community that was debt-free, that was crime-free. Mm. There were no housing insecurities or hunger. That is what I lived. Yeah. And so not only did I live that, but hundreds of us lived that way. Yeah. And I'm thinking that this could be a prototype for communities. This could be a prototype for the, yes. the world. Yes. In terms of changing the present uh, narrative or the present overall structure that creates poverty. I've read, again, that wealth is created, and so is poverty. And it is. And so those things, human beings, we have this quest for health, happiness, and prosperity. Every human being. Mm -hmm. And every human being, to me, deserves that. And whomever we elect to govern us, they need to have those same qualities. Amen to that. They need that for their citizenry. They need to have those same qualities. So um, um, the book does touch uh, a lot of things that you said, Larry.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. I said um, on the back of it, in terms of, I asked the question, what is the role of the Black church and Black Christians in light of these realities? Yes. Just to save souls is not enough. And, and,
1: and that's, that's the thing that got me too, which is a great segue into, you know, we all know there's problems. We all knows there's, we all know that there's divisions, but what can somebody do that's listening to this podcast, watching the news going, what, what can I do? What can I do to get involved? I'm just me. What, what, what can I do? Where can I go? Who can I talk to? what is the plan of action for people who are tired of sitting around and listen to other people complain? Cause I really feel this way. And I, I kid you not. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> um, I really feel on Larry. <laughs> I know, but this is, you know, Shelly, I can, I can hear the passion. I can hear the passion in your voice for what you've, what you've been through and the story that that you're living right now. And I feel that if people could just stop, turn off the news, go to their local community somewhere, somehow, and go, look, I don't like what's going on. I don't like, you know, fill in the blank of what's going on today. How can I help you to make it better? And I think that's a good challenge maybe, you know, for I don't know, for the podcast, you know, what can we do?
2: Yeah, I, I love that statement. What can I do yeah. to make it better? That is a good, uh, profound statement. And so when we go to uh, other people, to me, we can get more answers.
3: Yeah.
2: And so even going to uh, the community library or even to a parents meeting,
3: yeah.
2: even talking to the children, Uh, Even if maybe someone has a little basketball team or something and help the children to understand and to know that things can get better because we as adults are are trying to do that.
3: Yeah.
2: I would love to have um, discussions, more discussions. I would like to have um, more, do more presentations in terms of the book Uh, have a book club to talk about these things Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because as I said, when people come together, you get this magnitude of of talent and and skills, not only that, but you get people who think alike yeah. and who want to make some things happen, yes. who want to make a change. Yes, yes, and I think you know that
1: that that is definitely, I think it's coming. I think people are tired of inaction, mhm-. And I think, and, and doing it now, and I say this, knowing everything that has gone on, but doing the right thing and talking to the right people, because you can talk to the wrong people. Everybody knows that. Yeah. And we all know what happens when that happens. But, um, what it man, I, I don't think there's just one, one thing that people can do. Because it's a, a myriad of things. Yeah. you know? Well, there have
2: to be some like-minded people. Yeah. Yeah. And we also have to analyze or at least be, be on the same page as to why are these things happening? Yeah. Like when I was 18 years old, why are these things happening? We have to ask the question, why, how, and begin to discuss that. Because if we can't point out the problem... To me, we don't come up with an effective solution. Mm. So the hows and the whys are, are very important. And I do believe that, that there are enough like-minded people to help make some changes. Uh, science says you don't need everyone. You just need a significant mm. critical mass of people yeah. that can help change things. So th- that came from the book Tipping Point. <laughs> 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 and in tipping point it talks about the uh these hush puppy shoes that had gone out of style right mm-hmm. but some little small group in boston began to wear them and then some other group began to wear them mm-hmm. and then another group began to wear them so till it got to the point where it spread exponentially
1: yeah. yeah so
2: i'm saying that if we have like-minded people and gather more like-minded people who Ask the how and the why and how we can change these things. I believe it's possible. And I'm always hopeful for that. I, I cannot be a person without hope. So I'm always hopeful that these things can change. But why also? Because I lived it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, that that is, you know, you, you can't diminish the, and I mean, I was going to say, you can't diminish the fact that, you know, you've seen it firsthand, and you're not just an outside spectator you are you are a participant in all this and and you're living proof that the things that you've done and accomplished can be done it just takes people to go man i want to make a change somehow i don't know where i don't know how but i want to make a change Exactly. I mean, I think people are going to want to go past just,
0: you know, putting a hashtag on social media as their way of making a change and actually getting their hands dirty and
2: doing something about stuff. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And that's what the, um, the shrine of the black Madonna was good for is because, um, well, with protests and marches, you know, they do serve a certain cause. But what happens after that?
3: Right.
2: What, what changes? Nothing. And I'm, I'm not advocating that they should stop. What I am proposing is that, or advocating, is that in the shrine, we decided that we can make a change ourselves. and we And we will make a change with the people that we work with. As you said, Larry, you know, finding someone or finding a group of people. Well, it was based on the group experience, the um, the shrines of the Black Madonna, Black Christian nationalism, based on the group experience, and so we were able to function under this umbrella. And this umbrella said, for us, uh, we are black, we are oppressed, we seek to end our oppression. Notice we didn't say we hate white people, we hate <laughs> Japanese people, yeah. none of that. We have to do this under this umbrella. This is our reality.
3: Yeah.
2: And the reality was real. It was real. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so being with a group of people and then working together to change things, we were able to do that. Yeah. We actually did it.
1: Yes, and which brings me—you know—looking at your website, you have you have a great website, by the way. You have really, you have a really nice website, I must say. It's good,
2: yeah. Thank you. I'm going to give credit to Dion Yates Family Circle Productions. He's the one who creates my website.
1: Wow, it's great. You got great photos. You got all your books up there. Um, There is a couple things that I want to talk about too, because you have workshops that are available. Um, talk to us a little bit about workshops and, and obviously we'll put all the links on, on the website, on, on the social media. On yeah. The- when
0: this, it'll, of course, like that's my line, Larry, I all, know. Of the, all of the links will be in the description of this. If you're listening in on anchor and when we tweet and put this up on social media, all of the links will be there.
1: Oh, great! Thank you, Eric.
2: <laughs> Thank you, Eric. <laughs> that is your line. Um, <laughs> With the workshops, yes. uh, I can develop those workshops for for individuals. If people want to get some knowledge about literacy, some knowledge about my books, I will actually form those workshops. What I have done is had forums. I had forums to educate parents on this literacy dilemma. And um, to also present solutions as to how those can be resolved, mm-hmm. I I uh, went out kind of on a limb to do that. So I I went to different activity centers, uh, the African American Museum here in Detroit, and did those forums. The in March I am um, launching my online course entitled Course of Action to Literacy. Oh, wow. wow. And that is for any parent, any teacher, anyone who wants to learn how the brain operates in terms of reading and also how you can teach reading. Wow. So that will be launched in March. Um, Again, the workshops would have to be developed I've done them already. I've done professional development for teachers, but I try to find out what the need is. And then I work from there, but I am open to doing literacy workshops. I'm open to doing leadership workshops as I uh, matriculated through the, my tenure at the Shrine of the Black Madonna, I was ordained a minister and then also a Bishop and a Cardinal. And so I, I, roles in the leadership core of the church so uh leadership workshops i will be glad to do that i have two other well i have a book called a principal's tale
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, and it's for real i only want called it a principal's tale because i wanted to attract all audiences yeah. but it, those are realities in those books and so i don't mind doing uh, leadership workshops yeah at the same time yes
3: very cool very cool
2: and i've had experience in doing all of that so to develop uh workshops do professional development i've done that in my uh career excellent and let me
1: ask you too is this could be like nationwide or really if anybody because we actually shelly yeah we're worldwide podcast (laughs) we're worldwide we got people (laughs) listening over in asia and and europe and the uk so yeah (laughs) So, if people are listening to this anywhere on the planet and they go well well will that teaching will that help me where I am in in my region um does that pretty much go for everywhere
2: Well, I would think maybe the leadership
1: yes, for sure. leadership would yeah,
2: and I would think that the certain aspects of Black Christian Nationalists, mm-hmm. the last chapter talks about seeds of, it talks about the qualities of leadership Okay. that I experienced within the shrine, but is applicable to everyone who yeah. is in a leadership position. Yes. So I think aspects of that book would also help. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, in any country. And let me
1: ask you this, it just came to my mind, because, you know, there's people and I guess I'm one of them. That's why I'm asking. <laughs> there's, there's people who who strive to always, you know. I, I start working somewhere, and I'm like, you know what? I wanna I wanna get I wanna see where this goes. I wanna kind of climb the ladder. So if somebody that that has an ambition to to do and be better and to just keep growing into a leadership position would this be good for them to listen to, to get some
2: of those, like, everything? I think so. Yeah. In fact, I know so. Yeah. Um Many businesses, corporations, educational institutions, they are looking for people who are able to positively interact with other people. Yeah. Like, they are looking for people who can create some kind of, of team spirit and team... um. Connectedness.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, they're
2: looking for collaboration. Yeah. So we call these like the interpersonal, intrapersonal skills. Yeah. How do we interact with other people yeah. to help them to uh, to be the best that they can be?
3: Yeah.
2: Uh, there's a theory called self determination theory by professors Desi and Ryan, mm-hmm. and that's in a a principal's tale that the self determination theory. Speaks of three psychological needs
1: mm-hmm. that
2: internally motivate us. Okay. Every human being. Uh-huh. One need is to be competent. Yeah. Be able to have these skills to master certain academic material, maybe it could be sports, but we have that need to be competent. That is that is an internal motivation. Yeah. Our children have it when they learn how to walk and talk or they tell you no and uh, you know they want to do it for themselves. Yeah. We are born with that need to be competent. And
3: mm-hmm. we're born also
2: with the need to relate positively to others. Yeah. And we are born with the need to be autonomous. That doesn't mean that I have the right to go out and kick somebody. Autonomous means that I can make decisions about my growth. I can make decisions about what I need to read what I need to take? Do I need to go to this professional development? Autonomy is even what a little child has. Like my little girl, she's all grown now. I put her in a bed to take a nap. I put up the railing on those old beds back in the day. She got out of that bed, right? (laughs) That was autonomy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So we all have that internal motivation to do that without any outward rewards just the mere, the sheer joy of being able to master something, yeah. the sheer joy of having positive relationships yeah. and the sheer joy of being autonomous. Today I could decide to go to the gym or I can read a book. That is an uh, uh, internal motivation that every human being has. So mm-hmm. I'm saying that to say this, that uh, in terms of leadership, yes, that would be something applicable to any country, any people. And I would do any workshop on that.
1: Okay. And dare I say, if anybody in leadership is, is listening to this right now going, what did she just say? Oh, I don't have any knows. idea.
0: It's oh, going to be blowing up.
3: I know that you're
1: the person, you're the guys that need it the most because you're in leadership and you have no clue what, oh gosh, have I said too much? Maybe, but no, I mean, this is, you know, this is part of, of what I love about our podcast is not different viewpoints but to see the differences that are out there and look at it and go it ain't that different because you know i want to be better i want to do better and oh my god i guess i should read more shelly you i i tell you you are a reader and as everybody listens and i know eric may have it i don't i'm not a reader so um but you are a prime example. Of what knowledge can do. Exactly. Thank it's... you, Larry and Erin. You're welcome.
2: I'm a vicarious learner too. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So what I mean by that is that I look at the interactions that other people are having. Yeah. And I can learn from that. Yeah. I, I I can learn from children, the interaction that children may have with each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's called, it's called vicarious learning. Looking at other people and 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 looking or trying to depict what the positive right Yeah, and, and and I could learn from that. Yeah. Uh I, I learn from anyone. I, I learned how maybe to be a better speaker or on a podcast by listening to you and Eric okay. so I'm a vicarious learner. <laughs> oh you're doing <laughs>
1: I oh man I, I I'm listening to you going oh man I need to be better. I need <laughs> to <be." laughs> I tell you you know um Shelley, there is you know, I know we like we could just go on on and on and on and talk about and fill up hours of of stories and all the great things that make us who we are, mm-hmm. and why why our differences need to be differences and why everybody needs to understand that we're different, and that's okay, um. One thing that I would like to ask, because I'm curious, <laughs> um, how do you feel about today's, um, today's youths and the way that they are becoming less? Um, and this is a thing, because we actually have another podcast and we talk to a therapist about empathy. Um, how, much, how much is that a part of interpersonal skills that that you teach to to have because i i i think and i don't know how you and eric feel about this but i completely disagree you haven't even said anything (laughs) no i think there's a lot of people kids these days in particular that don't have empathy for anything and i don't i don't think that they can process all this stuff that's going around them. How do you feel
2: about that? Okay. So empathy is a human quality to be able to identify with another person's sadness, happiness and their life. Even though you may not be able to feel their pain, you can identify with it. Yeah. So empathy is, is a human quality that allows people to interact with each other on a more positive level. So the, the children of today, they are being affected by a lot of different images, uh, media images, uh, TikTok images that uh, I as a child wasn't privy to because the technology wasn't there yeah. at that time.
3: Yeah.
2: And so in order to address this type of imagery, uh, I'm calling it image bombardment, for children, then adults are gonna to have to create a system to help their children.
3: Yeah.
2: So uh, one example, uh, as, a, as a principal, I had um, morning messages from me over the PA system. And I wanted the children to hear my voice and to, uh, for them to know that their principal is here in the building. So these morning messages had to do with character building in terms of kindness, in terms of uh, uh, being polite in the hallways, in terms of opening doors for other people and saying thank you and you're welcome. Those were in those morning messages to help that. Uh, children need an environment to help teach them that. Mm. And the principal's tell, I have a quote that when adults look at When adults look at a children's world and find appalling behaviors, then adults have to also look at their own world because the children are a reflection of what we do as adults. So it has to be an environment where we are teaching them and showing them. But they see so much much violence as a way of taking care of Taking care of a conflict, and when I when when I ran through the menu on TV, they have so many shows that are violent. Yeah. Right. I mean, and 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 um, with not good outcomes. When on the other hand, I do believe that there are a lot of good people out there with a lot of good outcomes.
3: Yeah. yeah. But
2: that is not. Shown on TV. Yep.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: That is not shown on TV. Say, for example, my grandson's football games. They're full of African-American parents and, and their are white parents. And we're all sitting in the bleachers and we're all rooting for the, for the same team.
3: Yeah.
2: And I'm thinking, why aren't the cameramen here at this game? Right. right. To see how people do get along, to see how we are there for our children. Or even if it's an all African-American football team, one of my grandsons was on that. And then all these parents are there and they're all getting along and they're all cheering their children. How come the camera people are not there? Mm. So we see a lot of negative images on TV. And when our children see that as children, sometimes they can't interpret it. They just see it and they think that that's the way it is. Does that make sense? That's the yes. way it is. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Say, for instance, my mother, and I love her, she's passed on, but my mother used to smoke. I'm 15 years old, so I'm seeing an adult smoke. I don't know any better at this point. Right. No. Yeah. If my mother smokes, then okay. She left her little pal mail in, a, in an envelope, <laughs> <laughs> not an envelope, in an ashtray. <laughs>
3: right.
2: He wasn't in the house. So what did I do? I went up and lit up that little cigarette.
3: Yeah.
2: It's the same with the family who just may drink. The child may be sitting there and watching the family drink and think that that is okay. I'm saying that the adult environment has a lot of responsibility for helping to create empathy in children. And um, that is going to take, to me, intentional action Mm. to make that happen. Mm. Mm. And that
1: all goes back to between birth and what 5 you said maybe 3 that's when kids are the sponges and they they soak up everything and yeah. you know i don't know if people i think they do realize but i don't know if people realize that everything is connected in life your body your, your mind your soul your spirit mm-hmm. our health um and when you miss one of those things, things become not not good, not okay. That's maybe, maybe that's when everything starts to, they start to look, look to their friends, look to movies, look to whatever they get into, right? To kind of fill that void maybe. I hope I'm on the right track. And, I, and actually I'm trying, to, I'm trying to kind of wrap up but okay. this is not working because every little thing you know follow everything yeah. goes hand in hand in life right every conversation every everything goes hand in hand and it it is it is very fitting that i think we're ending this way because you had mentioned that why don't people put put other, other people out there that are doing good, that are making a difference, that that are, are trying to not just do the talk, but they're doing the walk. And Shelly, I kid you not,
2: man. You, you are definitely doing the walk. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And that was very profound what you said, mind, body, and spirit.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And
2: we we want to create a balance. Yeah. In life, each individual, so that that what you just said kind of really resonated with me. Yeah. Because um, the divine system that we live in that we don't really control, in terms of the sun rising and the moon setting, in terms of the seasons. Yeah. There is a system a divine system that is in balance most of the time yeah. humans have to get in balance yes and it is that mind body spirit connection that you're talking about and 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 there are disciplines to get there to do that and then being involved with groups of like-minded people as i was in the shrines of black madonna it does help mm. to interconnect that mind body and spirit yes yes yes
1: ladies and gentlemen mm. anybody who is listening to this there's there's ways to get involved with your community don't just sit on the sidelines do something please be part of the effort not part of the problem
2: that's shelly
1: thank you uh everybody please Shellymcintosh.com reach out and contact her through her website, uh, which is and and get her books. Uh, Amazon, you can get them. Can you get them on your
2: website? You can order from the website. Let's say like Amazon. You get them from Barnes and Noble, Detroit oh, yeah. Book City Club, Target, Walmart. Wow. They're, wow. they're, they're all on those That's
1: platforms. Everywhere. And hopefully, where are they
0: going to be, Eric? And the link's in the description if you're listening in on Anchor.
1: Yes. And Eric, before you you do our wrap up, Shelly, I just want to say thank you. And, And I mean this, you are such a blessing. 100%. Man,
2: thank you so much, Larry and Eric. And you are blessings also. And I really appreciate from the depth of my heart. I really appreciate this interview. Uh, Thank you.
3: Thank you.
0: Thank you. you. Well, everybody, we just want to thank Shelly one more time for coming on the show today. Like I kept saying, all of her links will be in the description if you're listening in on Anchor. And everybody, like we say each and every week, remember. Support our
3: troops.